We continue on here on this edition of Snowman of the Morning, and Jay Spivey now joins me on the program. What's up, Jay? How you doing, Brian? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, my man. Let's talk some ACC basketball. And there are some questions with the big four here in uh, North Carolina basketball and college basketball. Let's start with Wake Forest. The Deacons fell short at Virginia Tech on Sunday. Is there a Wake Forest player that is emerging in your eyes as a kid that the rest of the team can follow as a leader going forward? Um, probably their best player is Isaiah Mucius. He's kind of the holdover from the Danny Manning uh, era. But, you know, as far as the local guy goes, right now the best player is Davian Williamson, who transferred in from East Tennessee, where, where the current coach Steve Forbes is, what was. And he played here at uh, Winston-Salem Prep. He's kind of emerging. kind of like the young Goku guy right now. You surprised that it's Xavier Williamson that's being that's emerging as the leader for them? Um, no, not really, because I saw him play a number of times when he was in high school. He was, you know, when I was at the, at the Journal, he was our boys player of the year that year, uh, his senior year, and they won the state championship. But, and he's a great kid, just a phenomenal kid. But I am a little surprised at, you know, how many points he's scoring. I mean, I know Wick's struggling. They've lost five in a row, all ACC games. And like you said, they lost their home last night in Virginia Tech, and uh, they just, they just don't have a lot of scores, a lot of offense, but he's kind of emerged as one of those go-to guys. That, you know, they wouldn't, they weren't really expecting until probably he transferred in over the summer. And even then, he he wasn't a guarantee because he had to get approval from the NCAA to to go through the clearinghouse. So what else is what what's what else is bothersome with Wake Forest basketball right now? Why can't they get an ACC win, or why can't they get a win? Brian, they just, I follow Wake my entire life. Uh, for one, then the Danny many years, and even before that with the uh, Jeff Bozillick, the last 10 years have been miserable. And for people who did not follow Wake Forest for the last 10 years, they would think they were kind of a wave gone team. You know, I, I used to go see them play in the 90s and yeah, early 2000s and even up until uh, 2010. And, that that place at the goal was just jam packed every night. They were they were they were number one for a while. Um, they were right up there at the top. They won the ACC championship in '95 and '96. Uh, they were they were a powerhouse, and now it's just like they're an afterthought. And I, I, Jeff Rosette was terrible, and I think Danny Manning was probably worse because he just didn't engender himself to. You know, the, the outside to the public and to the fans and everything was everybody else's fault but his own. And he never took accountability. And I think kids saw that and didn't want to play here. And now, now they're now they're kind of reaping what they sowed. And it's going to take a while for I think one thing's for sure. You know, they're struggling. They're playing hard. I mean, they have no business on the same court with Virginia Tech. Not that Virginia Tech's great, but they're a lot better than Wake is. And yeah, they only lost by five points last night. So, I mean, they're playing hard. They just don't have the, the talent right now to compete with some of these other teams. Yeah, yeah, I can I, I can see that. Let's move to North Carolina State. They have they haven't played since Wednesday. The Virginia game was is is canceled due to COVID positives in the Wolfpack program. Manny Bates and Baxton Beverly have been banged up. 
They'll play the Tar Heels Saturday. What have your thoughts been on the Wolfpack so far this season, even given all of the issues that's going on? Some nights they look like the best team in the ACC. Other nights, not so much. Talk to me about the Wolfpack. They're probably, I mean, if you consider just the time they played of the big four schools, they might be the best team right now, but we don't know how good they are because we haven't been on the court so long. And like you said, they're postponed Wednesday night. Who knows, who knows whether they'll play over the weekend or not because NC State men and women have COVID issues. So it might be a thing where they might miss multiple games. Yeah. We don't know how good they're going to be. Yeah, crazy, crazy times. Talking with Jay Spivey. Follow him at Jay Spivey WSJ. Now to how the mighty have fallen. Let's start with Duke. They get Pittsburgh, and they fell out of the top 25 for the first time since 2016. To help this Blue Devil team, who is the one player that needs to take it to another level to get the Blue Devils back in ACC contender status? Brian, I don't know if it's necessarily one person. I think they all just – this is one of those years where, you know, the Dukes had so many one-and-done uh, one guys that are going to the NBA that they've had so much talent. And this is one of those years where they just don't have a lot of individual talent. So they're just going to have to kind of mesh together and become more of a team. And if Chichesky could do that, I mean, he's been doing this forever. But, you know, they're just going to kind of go back to the model they had – you know, when they before the one and nones, and just you know, kind of go with that and see how things go because they're still. When you think about it, as long as there's any more stoppages with COVID, we're looking at about two more months of in the regular season almost. Well, not quite that much, but six to seven weeks, and and still they can still do some damage in the league because you're not that many times during the season so far, and the ACC is way down this year, sort of up for grabs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they could easily win, depending on how good they become in the last six or seven weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jay Spivey joining me here on the program, talking ACC Big Four in basketball. And now to North Carolina. Who should be the starting point guard for the Tar Heels, Caleb Love or R.J. Davis? Uh, probably Love. I mean, just you don't know what they have, and they're, they're struggling too. I mean, you know, they just came off a loss to Florida State, and – yeah, Florida State's really good, and they're tough to beat Tallahassee, but they're struggling too. And you, we don't know how good any of these teams are. I mean, I, I don't know if it's the, you know, the COVID issues, the talent issues, not being not stuck being used to playing without fans. I, I mean, I, it could be any number of issues. But the Big Four is about as weak as it's been in years. Mm-hmm. There's not a there's not a strong team around the world. It's not. Nothing is really a strong team the whole time. It's it's so weird. For me, as long as I've been watching the ACC to see them th- see them this far down, staying with the Tar Heels, what will the re- what will the return of sophomore Anthony Harris do for North Carolina? Well, it can only it can only help. I mean, they play they supposedly play Wake Forest on Wednesday night in Chapel Hill. I mean, that should be a win for them right there. And then, you know, like like you said, they're supposed to play uh, State on State this weekend. Uh, we'll see how that goes in terms of whether State can play or not, but. Um, yeah, it can only help, and I, I got to believe that they'll be much better by by the time the ACC tournament rolls around, if that happens. But you know, as bad as COVID is around the country right now, and especially within within North Carolina, it's pretty bad itself. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm 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 praying for an ACC tournament, but want this done safely and want this done right. You know, we don't want to put the kids well, I mean, don't want to put the kids at risk. 
if they're not putting themselves at well, risk already. already been moved, <laughs> it's already been moved from Washington to Greensboro, and probably I can't imagine they're going to have any fans in Greensboro. No, I, I don't think so. I can't see Tim would be a whole lot better between now and the, you know, the second week of March. I just can't see that happening. Stranger things have happened, and but I, I agree with you. I think it was probably the prudent move to move it to Greensboro. I mean, it's a yep. more centralized location. Uh, it's where the head, it's where the ACC headquarters are. I mean, you could kind of do this and not have as many hotel uses, and you know the the people within ACC won't have to use hotels, and it'd be a lot easier for, to travel for a lot of these things. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be, and I'm hoping to get a chance even with media being limited to cover the ACC tournament this year, because haven't seen it live since 1995 when I lived here in North Carolina before. So hoping for a chance. Well, That's... You got to see a good one that year. Yeah, you, I did. You got to see a good one that year. <laughs> Man, 24,000 each and every day. Didn't matter what team was playing, whether it was Duke, whether it was Virginia. As weird as it is, Brian, I've lived here my entire life, and you know I followed ACC ever since I was a little kid. And that was the first ACC tournament that I actually attended, and I'll never forget it. it was, I mean, I've been to a million ACC tournaments since then, but that was the first one I ever went to, and I'll never forget it. it was the, it was just an amazing event. The whole, the whole four nights was incredible. Yep, absolutely, absolutely, it was, it was incredible. I was covering the tournament, and I was working at the Coliseum at the same time, and I've never seen a, a conference tournament like that since then. And I've been following college basketball for twenty-five years. I've not seen a tournament since that. That was, you know, there was a, there was a lot of guys leaving early for the NBA, but there weren't a lot of one and dones then. Right. And it, so all of the teams were loaded that year. And mm-hmm. when Wake Forest beat Carolina that year, I mean, Wake almost lost to Duke, which was terrible. Duke was terrible that year. And Wake almost lost to Duke in the first round. Yep. And they beat. They beat, Virginia, they beat Virginia in the second round, and then they beat Carolina in the championship. Be- I was there for all three games, but I'll never forget it. I will never forget it. That's when I got introduced to not only Tim Duncan, but a fellow named Randolph Childress. Oh, yeah. My <laughs> all-time favorite Wake Forest player, without question. Yep. That, that <laughs> was... Tim Duncan, Tim Duncan was awesome. I love Tim Duncan, but Randolph Childress, I just love that guy. Yep. When I see him today, I got a chance to interview him a couple years ago. I did a story on his son. And uh, I got a chance to interview him, and I was just, like, awestruck. I mean, he's one of those guys that I was just awestruck. Yeah, yeah. When when that happens, you take you, you take advantage of it. But I remember that Carolina team, um, Dante Calabria and the boys, they lost to Wake Forest in overtime, oh, yeah. and it was loud. If y'all thought it was loud the first night of the ACC tournament with the, with the, with the four games, championship Sunday, it was a madhouse. It was a madhouse. Incredible. It was incredible. Incredible, and not a seat to and not a seat to be had in the house. No, not a seat to be had in the house. Back then, it was nearly impossible to get tickets. I got them. I got them just because I'm pretty good at getting tickets. I I don't scout scout, but I know how to maneuver with people to get them. Not get not send me tickets that are so high priced. That was the first year. uh, First year I was able to go, and I'll never forget it. It Ever since then, uh, I got. I've probably been. uh, Probably oh, close to 15 ACC tournaments since then, and I've been to, I've been to Greensboro, Charlotte, Washington, Atlanta. Uh, I guess I haven't been to, I haven't been to Brooklyn, I haven't been to Tampa, St. Pete, but I've been to all these other cities for the tournament. Yeah. They're, they're all fun. They're all fun. But I still think it's best in Greensboro. 
It I is. Think most of the people who who follow it know it's best in Greensboro too. Greensboro should be the place for the ACC tournament. That's how I got hooked on the Greensboro Coliseum, watching it back in the day, you know, because every ACC player that's a favorite of mine played in Greensboro for the for the conference that's tournament. True. They played in Green. They played in Greensboro, and that's where it always right. should be. Right. Now you think about it. That just that year alone in '95. Look how much how much NBA talent was on the on the court every mm-hmm. single game that that, that yep. year. Yep. Every single game. From Joe Smith to Dante Calabria to Randolph Childress to Tim Duncan, I mean, it was loaded. That's a tournament Rocky that was Wallace. that year was loaded. Loaded. Rasheed Wallace. Yep, uh, Rasheed Wallace, Jerry, Jerry Stackhouse. Stackhouse. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was cr- it was crazy loaded that year. Look at Virginia. Virginia was loaded too. Yeah. Every star, every team that came to the ACC tournament that year had at least one star on their ball club. Even Duke. Absolutely. Even Duke, Absolutely. who nearly beat Wake Forest. Okay? And that was the second time they nearly beat Wake Forest because 95, Wake Forest beat them at Cameron. Yep. Wow. And, uh, and like I said, Duke was terrible that year. That's yeah. Crazy. That probably was worst year ever. Well, in terms of 50 really established the program, that's the worst work team he ever had. He, he quote unquote backed out of the season and had back surgery that year. Pete got out and ended up coaching the team the rest of that year. And you know, a lot of people say that he had back surgery because he realized that team how, how bad it was, and the record ended up falling on God that year. Yeah, yeah, I, I miss those days, man. We need to get back to those days. Well, those. Brian, it's going to be hard to get college basketball back in those days with the one and dones. I know. Um, I know. I hate to I hate to say that because they were. I mean, they were so much fun back then. Mm-hmm. It's just what the way. And I don't blame the kids for leaving early. I mean, if you know you're going to be drafted in the first round, go, some of these kids have no business it. leaving early. Yeah. Have no business whatsoever. None. None. But if you know you're going to be drafted in the first round, you're guaranteed that whatever millions of dollars you're going to get, I don't blame them. I'll take it. Too. Take it. You absolute you absolutely take it. Jay Spivey joining me here on the program as he does each and every week, talking all things ACC. Man, always a pleasure to have you on. I love talking to you. Brian, thank you very much. I enjoyed myself and hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank Th- you very much. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you. Let's get back to that point. And I know it's gonna be tough to do. I know it's gonna be tough to do. To get back to the point where it was in 1995 where every team that participated in the ACC tournament was loaded with talent, including Duke, okay? And Duke was terrible that year. Absolutely terrible. Sports board after this. This is Snowman in the Morning. Snowman in the Morning continues. Hey, folks, you can be a part of the crew if you subscribe to Patreon. Go to patreon.com. Slash SIT morning for as low as five bucks a month. You become you can become a patron, get your hands on a swag bag that I'm putting together, as well as some exclusive interviews and exclusive behind the scenes footage of what's becoming the hottest morning sports talk show, not only in North Carolina, but across the world. Go to patreon.com slash SIT morning. 
And speaking of North Carolina, let's talk NBA. Let's talk Hornets. Let me welcome Sam Farber, the radio play-by-play voice of the Charlotte Hornets. Sam the man, what's going on? Just another day in paradise. Good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. How's it How's it going so far being the radio voice of the Hornets? You having fun? Oh my gosh, yes. No, it's a it's a dream job and uh, even with the present circumstances being what they are, you know, honestly, I don't know any better. So it's it's been wonderful. The team's just fantastic, the entire organization and uh looking forward to getting back out there again in a couple of days. Well, let's talk. Let, let's talk Hornets. They stand at six and eight right now, going into their game against the Wizards. As you see them, do the Hornets have enough to be a playoff contender this year? My answer is yes. What are your thoughts? I would agree with you. I think you you know you, fourteen games is a solid sample size. That's roughly twenty percent of the season, and obviously a lot can change. Different teams are going through different things at different times. But based off what we've seen so far, there's nothing to indicate that the Hornets can't continue on this present trajectory. In fact, it's probably, you know, legitimate grounds to say that the team probably gave up a game or two that they maybe could have or should have won. So I think the the prospectus looks certainly good for the Hornets to make the postseason, but they've got to do the job, obviously. There's a lot of hard work ahead, and uh, just because you look to be in the postseason after 20% of the games, there's still 80% of the season to go. Absolutely. Let's talk about the growth of P.J. Washington. He started out slow at the beginning of the year, but lately he really seems to be thriving at the spinners, at the center spot for head coach James Borrego's uh, small lineup. What have you seen from P.J. that excites you going forward? Well, it's just his continued development. You're, you're correct. He's kind of been pressed in some respects into that small ball five role um, maybe more so than would have originally been thought but it was certainly part of the plan all along to have him spend some time there and he has really developed his game into becoming a a real two-way threat he's one of the top 20 shot blockers in the nba so he's doing a good job as that backline defender certainly there have been rebounding issues with the team over the course of the season and you know going to a smaller lineup it's going to you know, present the opportunity for bigger teams to have an advantage on the glass. But PJ's held his own. He's had, I think, four consecutive double-doubles now. And his ability to stretch the floor. He's hit a three in, I think it's 10 consecutive games, 10 or 11. Either way, it's a career high for him. So, you know, he, he's a real threat out there and, and can be a significant piece to this team getting to where it wants to go. Look at the guard line here. Terry Rozier. His name was hot in trade talks after the Hornets drafted LaMelo Ball third overall, but his play of late is making it hard to get get rid of him. Kind of reminds you of the run he had in 2018 with the Boston Celtics. Is there an issue with the three-guard rotation that Borrego is using with Rozier, Ball, and Graham? And, and what is making Rozier thrive in the lineup? Well, I don't see a real issue with it. It seems to be working out great. Uh, you know, that said, it, again, when you go with two guards on the floor at the same time that are under six foot four, you know, it, it's a big man's league. So you're, you're going to have potentially some rebounding issues. But that said, Terry Rozier rebounds as well as any guard in the NBA for his size or otherwise. So, uh, you know, that, that three guard mix has been really a great spark for the team offensively. It has not had a letdown on the defensive end either. The, Hornets are in the top third of the NBA right now in 
team defense. So, you know, they're, they're not exposing an awful lot of holes there. And, and I understand the narrative. I think, you know, people looked at the drafting and said, well, you, you know, can't possibly play more than two guards at once. Well, you do have to have a bench. You do have to have guys, uh, you know, come in and spell each other. They, they can't just go 48 minutes a game. And that rotation has been a real bright spot for the team, either playing as individuals or more often than not playing together. Rookie guard LaMelo Ball continues to impress and seems to have a highlight on ESPN every night or every other night. What makes LaMelo so different from the other rookies that came out of this class? Well, there's just a flair about him. There, there's something special about LaMelo that's obvious when you watch him play. And, uh, you know, I liken him to, you know, seeing a chess prodigy. Um, I, I'm actually anxious to talk to him about this one, whether or not, you know, it's him seeing the game two or three moves ahead or whether he's just like a computer. He's so quick to react to everything the opposition is doing that he's able to make those snap decisions look like he knows what they're doing ahead of time anyways. Uh, he, he is really a savant at this. He, is, he has got some gifts that most other players don't have. And other players, you know, might have certain tools that some would grade out as uh, higher than LaMelo. But in terms of his ability to process the game, he is on a level that very few NBA players overall are on. And it's just a matter of, you know, him continuing to develop his personal skills and continuing to take in more information about his game and the league. And he's just going to get better and better, I think, is, is the hope and the expectation for everyone watching the Hornets. Hornets play-by-play voice Sam Farber joining me here on the program. Let's talk Miles Bridges. He seems to be settling into his six-man role with the Hornets, and he's always been a high-energy guy. Does that help with him coming off the bench in the rotation with Ball in that high-flying lineup? I, I think so. I think you know his energy is going to be obvious whether he's starting or coming off the bench. But it's certainly a shot in the arm when he comes in and you know is sprung upon an unexpected and maybe slightly tiring starter. Or if he's going head to head with a reserve, I'd put him up there with anyone. Certainly in terms of athleticism, he's probably ahead of anyone. So he has been a real spark plug there. And his ability to stay engaged in the game, whether he's a focal point of the offense or not, really has to be applauded. That's a difficult thing to do. NBA players don't get you know, into that spot by being role players their entire lives. They get there by being stars their entire lives. They're used to playing all the time and having the ball in their hands and taking a lot of shots. And Miles has had games where he's been asked to score 20, and he's had games where he's asked to take two shots total. And he has been able to have an impact on games in either role. And that is a rare thing in the NBA. So, uh, you know, he, he is certainly a highlight waiting to happen. The Airbnb connection between him and LaMelo is real. And they are just uh, hopefully going to be able to keep that duo together. I know there's always going to be that clamoring for LaMelo to get in the starting lineup. And, you know, when Miles has a hot streak, I'm sure there will be people saying, well, why isn't Miles getting in the starting lineup too? Uh, you know what, James Borrego and his coaching staff have found something that really works right now, and I'm not hearing any complaints uh, in terms of the results, so I'd say ride the hot hand. Combin- that combination has really, really worked. Let's stay with LaMelo for just a moment. And you mentioned something that is so very true. The narrative says that LaMelo should be in the starting lineup just off of 
him being a high draft pick alone. But I think Coach Borrego is making the correct decision in having him come off the bench and ignite this Hornets team. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly an argument to be made for both. And look, I, I think ultimately, you know, you don't draft someone third overall with the expectation that they're going to be your sixth man for right. the next 15 years. You expect that person to start at some point. So, you know, we're not being naive here. We're just kind of saying, you know, look at how this team has been playing with everyone in their current roles. They're top 10 in the NBA in defense. They have the best assist rate of any squad in the NBA on a level that was last seen by the Golden State Warriors were making their finals run. Um, you know, I, I understand that people want to see as much of LaMelo as they can, but whether he starts or finishes games or not, he's playing 30-plus minutes a game. So he's getting starters' minutes out there, and it's just a matter of being strategic about when and where they come. I think ultimately, you know, whether Terry Rozier or Devontae Graham or LaMelo Ball starts or sits to start a game – is really irrelevant. It's about how many minutes are they out there on the floor and how can the team maximize the advantages that those three players individually and collectively have. And you know what, for a team that was picked by a lot of the so-called experts out there to win, you know, somewhere in the 20s for a total number of wins on the season, uh, to be six and eight right now and having a couple of games where you're probably kicking yourself thinking, man, you know, the Hornets probably could have gotten that one too. Uh, I think you have to be pretty pleased with the results thus far. Absolutely. Sam Farber joining me. Follow him on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. Is that bench the future of the Hornets, the way they're constructed right now? Is what, sorry? The bench. The bench. Is that, sorry, we'll see. Is, ask the question again. Okay. Uh, okay. Is the bench, the way they're constructed right now, the future of the Hornets? You know, in terms of ball and bridges, possibly. You know, it's interesting. You know, the NBA is a pretty fast-moving target. I, yeah. I was looking through the numbers. You go back to four years ago, the entire roster for the Hornets has almost entirely turned over with one exception, and that's Cody Zeller. So, you know, it, the future is a relative thing. I think, you know, you look at this team, you've got significant investment in some lottery picks, and guys like Washington and in Bridges and in LaMelo Ball for certain. Uh, you've got long-term contracts still out there with Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward. And then, you know, everything else on this roster and any NPA roster is kind of up in the air. Um, you know, guys move around an awful lot. And as I just said, you know, the, the entire roster is basically turned over in four years. So the future being a relative thing, I do think Ball and Bridge is certainly – uh, you know, have established themselves as a unique connection. Um, but Mitch Kupchick and his crew are the, the best in the business. I trust them implicitly to put the best possible product out there. I think for any player, you know, you want to have that longevity with any franchise. And, and the guys that are the core of this team have demonstrated something. And having the youth that they do overall, uh, you know, it, 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 it certainly wouldn't have me complaining if this was the long-term future. But it's tough to answer the question just because, you know, you look at any any franchise, you know, there's two or three marquee players that tend to stick around and everyone else, you know, moves around. That's that's just the NBA in this modern era. It really, really is. One more note. Paul Pierce said last week that currently the Hornets are his favorite team to watch. What are the Hornets doing that makes their brand of ball so exciting to start the season? 
Well, they share the basketball. They share it on a level that hasn't, that isn't typically seen. You know, most teams that have, uh, you know, a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James or an Anthony Davis on their squad, they play a lot of, a lot of ISO ball because it's to their advantage to do so. Kevin Durant or LeBron James playing one-on-one against anyone on the planet, you expect those guys to get 40 points a game and call it a day and take a win. Um, but the Hornets play a different kind of basketball where it's very team-centric. It's about finding the best shot, not necessarily your shot. It's about, you know, just it's just an entertaining, up-tempo brand of basketball where defensively they do a good job of taking away your best scorer's favorite thing. Whatever that is to do, they're going to make it harder for that person to do it. And then on the offensive side, they're going to share the basketball and really work as a unit. And in the NBA today, like I said, the, the superstars of the league, the elite players, tend to thrive in ISO situations and for good reason. Um, but the Hornets have approached it from another direction. And, you know, when you think through history, it's some of the most entertaining basketball teams over the last 20 years. I would say those Golden State Warriors teams that made those runs are right up there, not just because the Splash Brothers can shoot the lights out, but because, you know, they shared the basketball. You didn't know where a shot was coming from. So this is certainly an entertaining group, and uh, and I think Paul Pierce and a lot of other big fans of the NBA or basketball in general are really enjoying what they're seeing for good reason. And that's the kind of ball I love to watch, which is why I've covered Golden State for um, the past uh, six years, also covered the Bulls during the 90s, their dynasty run. Sharing the basketball is such a thing. It has to it has to be a thing, Ian, because as you said, Golden, Golden State has done it, and they still continue to do it, and now the Charlotte Hornets are doing it. Very, very good points made. That's Sam Farber, the radio voice of uh, the Charlotte Hornets. They get Washington. They get, the, they get the Washington Wizards. Sam will have the call on radio, so tune in and let him take you through 48 minutes of high-flying Hornets basketball. Follow him on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. Thanks a lot, my man. I appreciate it, and I look forward to your call against the Wizards. My pleasure. And just breaking news for you, the game has actually been rescheduled or postponed. Ah. Hasn't been rescheduled yet, but the Wizards' COVID issues continue. We yeah. wish, yeah, we wish uh, everyone there the best in uh, hopefully recovering quickly. It, it's obviously had such a devastating impact on our country and on our world, and we're wishing them nothing but the best as Absolutely. they recover and look forward to playing them later on down the line. But Hornets get an extended breather, and they'll be on the floor again as of right now on Friday against the Chicago Bulls at Spectrum Center. That's going to be exciting because those are two teams I expect to really make a push for the playoffs. Even though the Bulls are four games under five hundred, don't doubt Billy Donovan. Okay, he's going to have that team humming, and I see them humming really, really soon. Can't wait for that one. Thanks a lot, Sam. Anytime. I can't wait for that game because that could possibly be that could possibly be a wild card series or a first-round series. Have to see how everything plays out, especially with the Bulls. Rod Peterson is next. This is Snowman in the Morning, back in a flash. Now I'm going to get to my top four quarterback prospects. This is part of the homework assignment that uh, my EP sent to me. And in no particular order, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. Uh, Wait a minute. Trey Lance? What the hell is he doing on my list? Well, <clears throat> I want to focus on Trey Lance for a couple of minutes 
you know who Trevor Lawrence is. You know who Justin Fields is. You know who Mac Jones is. But who the hell is Trey Lance? Well, Trey Lance is the guy who played at North Dakota State and played only one game this past season. And yet, there are so many people that think he can be a number one uh, a first-round pick. Well, in many ways, that could be true. And in many more ways, that could be false. Does the name Carson Wentz mean anything to you? Does the name Easton Stick mean anything to you? I am going to keep this one keep this one short because like I said we got a lot to get to today but yo Trey Lance he's okay after the failed Wentz experiment in Philadelphia and I'm willing to bet you that Philadelphia may take another flyer on another North Dakota State quarterback although I could be wrong Trey Lance has all the physical tools but in only seeing him play one game, one game, is he going to have everything that he needs to play against a defense that's going to be bigger and faster and stronger than what he's used to at North Dakota State? Carson Wentz did it for one season, and then he got injured. Tried it for another season, and then he got injured. Tried it for another season, and then he got injured. Then he became a bad quarterback. Then he became the quarterback that is soon to be traded. But riddle me this. Who's going to take a chance on Trey Lance? Who is going to take that kind of chance on him? Who, which, which team would take that chance on, on, on Trey, okay, and allow him to grow? Because in that kind of situation, that's one where you hand him the keys to the offense and say, okay, let's go. Let's find out what happens. That's what you do with that. And I borrow a line from one of my favorite songs, which is Easy Money by Billy Joel. On Trey Lance, if you draft him and you give him the keys to your offense, and if you supply him, thank you, my dear, if you supply him with the offensive weapons that he needs, even with all of that, my Easy Money reference, you'll either come out a bum or a king. And to finish that line, baby, I don't know. Had to bring a little bit of humor in there. But those are my th- those are my top four, and I, I'm keeping Trey Lance in the lineup for now, just to see who would take a flyer on him, just to see who would take that chance. Coming up next, we have our morning headlines, along with a little bit of in case you missed it, talking about one Lamar Jackson and then I have Jay Spivey coming up at about 33 beyond the hour we're trying to get the timing down and also Rod Peterson will join me as well as the voice of the Charlotte Hornets Mr. Sam Faber stand by folks we're just getting going 
You're listening to Snowman in the Morning. Back in a flash. So, I have a chance for another unpopular opinion here on the program to wrap things up. And it concerns Drew Brees. Okay, folks. After what is going to be his final game, there were some facts that were thrown at me that kind of made me sit back and think a lot about where he belongs in the pantheon of greatness. Now, this is not to say that he is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Trust me, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Don't get it twisted. But uh, there, I don't know what to make of the facts that were thrown at me, but it seems like Drew Brees is like, mmm. I don't know what to think. 20 years in the league. He's got one Super Bowl win to his credit. He's got a ton of passing records. And yet, when you look at his playoff history and all the teams that he had, especially in New Orleans, one Super Bowl victory. One. And that came courtesy of one of the greatest NFC Championship games ever played when he went head-to-head with Brett Favre, who also only has one Super Bowl win. And four consecutive division titles all in shy of the big game. 2008, oh boy, oh boy. How do you look at this? Four consecutive division titles. The NFC Championship, I'm going to go back a couple years to the NFC Championship game that they played in the Super Bowl against the Rams. And it seemed that Sean Payton and Drew Brees outsmarted themselves in that game because they left too many blankety-blank points on the floor, on the field. You turn those field goals into touchdowns, you go to the Super Bowl in Atlanta running away. 2019 in the playoffs. Again, hosting a playoff game. And you get outplayed by Kirk Cousins. 2020, you beat the Bears 21-3, and it should have been worse. And then you lose to Tom Brady while scoring only 20 points. Let that sink in a little bit. His last four playoff games, and he only... And the New Orleans team that has been so 
packed with offense over the years, only scored 20 points. There was a blatant pass interference call in the 2018 game, but Drew Brees does not get a pass because they struggled in the red zone in the postseason. That's why they never get a, got a chance to get revenge against San Francisco last year. That's why they never got a chance to get revenge against Minnesota. That's why they never got a chance to get past Tom Brady because when it comes to red zone offense in the Drew Brees era in New Orleans, they have failed miserably. I'll even take you back to 2006 in Chicago when he lit up the Bears' defense for 353 yards. And they only scored 16 points. They only scored 14 points. I beg your pardon. Chance after chance after chance in the red zone in the Drew Brees era in New Orleans, they have come up short. Now, I told you, I had to think about this. There were some things, there, there were some times where Drew Brees had a chance to really, 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 really put a stamp on his career. Not to say that he hasn't, but he has. Trust me. Chance after chance after chance, and Drew Brees was just been glossed over they've been glossed over it just is not if we're going to be fair as sports analysts which I am sometimes you can't let fandom get in the way and I can tell you I have let fandom get in the way entirely too many doggone times. But looking at facts, I never thought I would would I never thought I would say this about one of my favorite quarterbacks. And this is the guy who playfully This is the guy this is coming from a guy who playfully picks on Tom Brady and their fans. But if you really want to be serious, if you really want to be fair, to be balanced, and to be truthful, there's a lot to be said about the career of Drew Brees. A lot. And it's so... It could have been it could have been so much more with more than one Super Bowl victory. The one that he got really revitalized New Orleans. But thinking about it honestly, it should have been more. It should have been the same kind of mirrored career that Tom Brady has. It should have been at least four 
titles should have been in the pantheon of greats of quarterbacks who've won at least four titles, at least four Super Bowls. And he only has one. Eli Manning only and I only has two, but those two came against Tom Brady. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. But to set all my fandom aside and to say the hell with the the, 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 the passing records, the touchdown records, and every other record. Because when you get into professional sports, your goal is to win championships. And in 20 years, Drew Brees only has one to show for it. I don't want to go there and say Drew Brees has failed the city of New Orleans because he hasn't, but he sure as hell has failed the New Orleans Saints. For all the division titles that they've won in the Drew Brees era, for all of the times they've gotten a top two or three seed in the NFC, on only one occasion were they able to make that pay off, and that was 2009. Extenuating and extenuating circumstances aside, there should have been a lot more championships with Drew Brees. There should have been, I say again, at least four. At least four. But unfortunately, they don't perform well, the Saints do, in the red zone in playoff games. I started back in 2006. But if you go back to 2011 in San Francisco against Alex Smith, that should have been a runaway for Drew Brees. But then again, Drew Brees and the Saints got popped in the mouth by the 49ers and then were on the receiving end of the catch part three with Vernon Davis. Another opportunity gone. Opportunity, and I'm talking about on-field performance only during the playoffs. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, gone. That should have been a true dynasty. The New Orleans Saints in the Drew Brees era should have been what the New England Patriots were when Tom Brady was there. But when you don't execute, you have a lot of problems. And the New Orleans Saints in the Drew Brees era, especially in the red zone on offense, just did not execute. Period. I love Drew Brees. I love what he's done for the city of New Orleans. I love what he's done for the Saints. I love what he's done for the Saints. Don't get me wrong. I loved watching him play. I loved watching him put up numbers. I loved watching him spread the ball around. But you got to pose the question. You, you have got to ask. Where is the playoff success for Drew Brees? Now, you can't just measure him by that, but 
don't you get the feeling or, or don't you get the thought that the playoff career of Drew Brees could have been a lot more than what it was for 20 years? If the single measuring stick is playoff performance for most of these athletes that we look at, then you got to look at the playoff performances by Drew Brees, which netted him only one Super Bowl title. And I'll say it again. New Orleans should have been the NFC version of New England with Drew Brees at the helm. Period. Period. And that's my unpopular opinion. Thank you to Desmond Johnson, my executive producer. Thank you to everyone that has tuned in in the region, across the nation, around the world to this program. Thank you to Beamer Tire and Auto for being a sponsor of this year program and also to East Coast Wings as well as Action247.eu. Tomorrow, I'll have Connor O'Neill on the program and Max Ritz will join me to talk some baseball. Till then, have a great day. God bless. Remember to make your next move your best move. And always remember, if your dreams don't scare you, then they are not big enough. Dream big, do bigger. I am and I hope you all are too. I'm out of here.